1: Well, here we go, episode number five of The Wheelhouse, and this is the first ever on-location episode, or remote episode, really the better way to put it. I'm Aaron Goldsworth alongside the general manager of the Mariners, Jerry Depoto, who is checking in from Orlando. Jerry, how is the sun out in Orlando?
0: No, the sun is sunny, and and it is. uh, I am usually remote.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're right. We've been very fortunate that the uh, first handful of these have uh, come face-to-face. I have a feeling that as we move along uh, the path of the wheelhouse, we'll be doing more of these uh, courtesy of our good friends over at Skype. You know, Jerry, there's been a a lot going on, obviously, with the Mariners, and especially at the winter meetings, but before we get to uh, what's going on, with you in Orlando, a quick reminder, a thank you to all who have subscribed and a reminder that you can, of course, subscribe to The Wheelhouse. You can subscribe in iTunes at the iTunes store or on the podcast app as well. And Jerry, the last time that we spoke, obviously, it was uh, lips pretty tight about Operation uh, Sheho Otani obviously he has gone to the Angels Uh, can you give us your reaction to how the process went down we know we heard it from you here on this podcast that you guys uh, held nothing back in your pursuit of Otani
0: no we didn't we we held nothing back and the process itself went exactly as as Shohei and the people at CAA set it up Uh, we were made very aware of what the timing was, and, and unfortunately, we came up short. And I, I've, I said it to, to Nezbolelo and, and the guys over at CAA, mm-hmm. and to show himself. I, I wish him well. His decision is his, and I, I never begrudge a player their decision. And I'm sure he made the right one for him. He's, it doesn't make us think any less of the player. He's incredibly gifted, and, and as it works out, we're going to get at least 19 shots to watch him play every
1: year. <laughs> One question that I had when when reflecting on the entire process, which is you told us this has been a project for you all for over a year at this point. Do you feel as though all 30 teams, do you feel that all of you really didn't have a clear idea as to exactly what he was looking for? Obviously, he took a lower bonus signing bonus going with the Angels than he would have if he went with the Mariners or even the Rangers. I think the Angels, for a lot of people, they didn't see that coming, that signing. Do you think that it was a little cloudy as to exactly for every team what he was looking for?
0: I, I think any time a human being is sorting through and, and kind of fleshing out a lot of detail and trying to make a, a big light decision like that, you never truly know. But you know, it, it, whether from from Shohei or from the people at CAA, they were pretty clear that this was going to be a decision that he made based on where he felt most comfortable and and felt the next best step was was for him. It, it wasn't about the money, and, and clearly that was the the end result. It really wasn't about the money and. I give him credit for having, uh, having sat through uh, the, the multiple-hour interviews that he did with clubs. And, and I think it's it's great that he had that opportunity to see under the hood of 30 organizations. I, I think that makes him just about the only person walking the earth right now <laughs> who, has, who has looked behind the curtain with, with every club.
1: From what I heard, he made at least one, if not multiple trips to Angel Stadium. Of course, the meetings in Los Angeles help with proximity. I was a little surprised, Jerry, that for a gentleman of his youth with giving up so much control, six years of control to whichever team he signs with, and obviously we've talked about the money or lack thereof with his decision. I was a little surprised that even if the Mariners weren't one of his absolute finalists, that he didn't make trips to, let's say, his top two or top three. Were you surprised by that?
0: Yeah, I mean, we were hopeful that we could we could attract them to Seattle. Felt like that would be a, certainly a selling point for us to try to get them to, to come into the the Mariner family. But you know again, his choice. He set up his his operation and his process the way he wanted it to go, and, and apparently answered the questions he wanted answered.
1: You know, Scott had some interesting comments there at the winter meetings about the whole process and how it really was enlightening and was interesting from him and i have to imagine for you and all the people that you work with to really step back and at the organization and ask yourselves okay what are the mariners what do we stand for what do we want to present it really you talk about otani getting under the hood of all 30 teams but i have to imagine that this made you guys look even deeper into your own organization is that that fair to say it's very fair to say. You know,
0: Scott and I talked about it at length, and and just having had the chance to go
1: through this and
0: and and look really into our own souls. What are we about as an organization? What do we stand for, and and, and how do we convey that to our players? It, the the process of recruiting effectively gave us a, a more thorough education as to what we're about, and that was a lot of fun to go through. I, I think it really helped us bond, not just as a as a front office group, but our front office group on baseball ops, our our marketing people, our community people, our, our PR group, everybody in our, in our, in our front office operation really gelled through this process. And then what happened with our our staff and our players as as they started thinking through this? And and we did. We engaged our players in the process. And you know, we touched base with upwards of twenty players and, and talked through the different ways that we could connect with with Shohei and and the different ways we'd like them to to connect. And you no, know, it's uh, it was really helpful. I think it it got our players engaged and talking during the month of December, which was probably the first time they've they've thought about baseball in more <laughs> of a team way this early in the or, or this late in the calendar year. And it gave us a chance to have nice conversations with the guys about where they are in their off season and 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 it really there's as you may know they are they are now down in Miami with uh a group put together by Nelson Cruz and Robbie Cano. And, and we got a pretty good chunk of our team doing a, a five-day workout down in Miami together so they can spend some
1: quality time, which I think is great. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely be touching on that. That's really was cool news to hear not long ago. One last thing on Otani, and I don't want to beat this to the ground, but I am curious, Jerry. So, Too late, brother. Too yeah, late. yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> That's probably, just mentioning his name one time, you're right. I, I know that you were very confident, and rightfully so, with the materials that you all put together for Shohei and the presentation that you made to him in person in Los Angeles. I am curious uh, what that call was like when you heard from his representative simply because I have to know that I know that you felt very good about your chances.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely disappointing.
1: And we
0: were we were very hopeful that that we, we felt like we did put our best foot forward. We felt like we had a lot going for us from the fit on the roster to the city to the organization's history with uh, with Japanese superstars, really dating back to Kaz Sasaki and Ichiro and Jojima, you now Kuma, etc. We felt like it was a good fit. And, and uh, obviously he opted in a different direction and it was it was a dejecting phone call but uh, as I said as I said on the phone line and as I meant sincerely you know, this is what we do in baseball uh, you you move on and we've we've already shifted gears and we've opted in in other directions ourselves and, and hopefully now as we as we really draw to a close here at the winter meetings we're we're closing in on what our final 25-man roster will look like and And we're very comfortable with our team as is and disappointed that that we didn't land Shohei, but there are 29 teams weren't and
1: we were just one of the 29. Well, Jerry, I think I I speak for everybody, every Mariners fan who's tuned into this podcast. We really appreciate uh, all your clarity and all your information over the last month and change about the Otani situation. It's been fascinating for us to be along the ride as best we can with you. And uh, we we appreciate all the insights along the way. And uh, obviously not happy about the result, but we know that you guys did everything that you possibly could. And we will not... We won't bring up Otani again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the good thing about what we do, Aaron, it, and and I don't know, this makes us a little bit unique, and it's it's sort of my personality in general, but. We tend to work behind a glass wall more often than not where we we want to engage our fans. We want our players to be involved in in our process and in creating our environment and really in building our team, because at the end of the day, it is our team. And, And when I say our, it is it is Robinson Cano's team. It is it is truly Edwin Diaz, it's Gene Segura, it's Nelson Cruz, and it's our fans. And, and we want everybody to be engaged with what we're doing. And it's what's made this process, this podcast so much fun is that we're engaged and, and as, as glasses, we can make that wall or as, as, as see-through as it can be. We'd like to, we'd like
1: to do that. I did take the liberty, Jerry, in my, uh, my very uh, limited time here to take a look at the in-room dining menu at the Swan and Dolphin Resort where you guys are staying. And because uh, I was wondering, I mean, what does the guy do for food for uh, this much time on a little bit of a major league island? And I wasn't sure if the uh, if the charcuterie and cheese for $15 tempted you for a late night bite. The um, the Reuben with the uh, house-made sauerkraut looked appealing. And uh, obviously, when you're in Florida, some seared grouper always is nice. So I'm curious, I mean, what does the guy do uh, for some carbs and protein during your you're a 72 hours and change on this uh, Florida island.
0: The the carbs are a lot easier than the proteins.
1: <laughs>
0: we did we, what one thing I have learned over the last half dozen years it, it, uh, since uh, since taking general manager jobs is that you leave your hotel room, you leave the team suite, and and traverse the lobby. You may not come back. It is something in the in the world of the Bermuda Triangle of, of uh, legend. So we've generally stayed close to, to, the, to the room here. We had one big group dinner down at a, a restaurant here at the hotel called Il Molino, uh, which was a nice Italian meal that eight of us shared with roughly 500 of our, of our closest baseball friends. <laughs> uh, and yeah, a very good dinner. I had a little bit of uh, a mushroom risotto, which uh, hit the spot. So nice. carb heavy, but, yeah. but no protein. <laughs> We've, for those for those who are uh, you know Seinfeld fans, we we've we have been crushing bags of pretzels and and everybody's throwing out the uh, you know these pretzels are making me thirsty. And that is, <laughs> that's how we're entertaining ourselves while we while we kind of get disappointed by conversation after conversation. But uh, the, the room service menu has yielded a chicken club. that that, uh went down fairly well and outside of that i've i've eaten very small foods and yogurts on the way in and out of
1: meetings (laughs) okay so you're trying to make up for that risotto because i i know i've seen you in the hotel gyms jerry i know that you could easily hit the hit the treadmill or the elliptical for half an hour if need be following these winter meetings it sounds like
0: yeah i get up in the morning and you know i generally hit it this morning i had the great pleasure of being wedged in uh between the, the newly minted Hall of Famer Alan Trammell, who I couldn't be happier for, just a wonderful human being, and uh, and Red Sox legend Jason Varitek, uh, he of former Seattle Mariner yes. uh, draft lore, so uh, two super guys who had great careers, and, and I thought I'm dragging this picture down.
1: <laughs> now, now, are you saying that this was at the hotel gym you ran into these two guys?
0: Yeah. So if, if you too can work out at the hotel gym with Hall of Famers on the on the treadmills at the Swan and Dolphin.
1: Now I I do have to ask. Speaking of Hall of Famers and hotel gyms, have you ever have you ever worked out simultaneously at a hotel gym with Edgar?
0: I have. Edgar is a machine. Uh, he is a machine. It just just like the way he hits, that's the way he kills it in a weight room. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, and uh, and it is it's old school too. I mean, Edgar he's he's he really gets after it, and everything he does, it's almost like a a. It's doubling down. So if he's on a treadmill, he's on a treadmill with with dumbbells in his hand. If he's if he's off of a treadmill, he's he's constantly in motion. He's he is uh, he keeps himself in very good shape. And I don't know if you saw the the commercial from last year, the drop the mic uh, commercial with him taking a swing and hitting a homer. I'm fairly certain that was the first take. <laughs> you know, uh, Edgar, Edgar does his thing. He keeps himself in shape and, and still looking at the purity of his swing. He looks like he, he belongs in the batting cage when he gets in there with the, with the Seegers and Canoes, and etc.
1: I'm so glad you brought up the treadmill for Edgar because I've seen him with the treadmill at a fairly severe incline, by the way. Uh, walking up that thing at a brisk pace while curling a pair of dumbbells and it's just a pool of Edgar's sweat just short circuiting the treadmill. Meanwhile, one time I was sitting on a bench catching my breath and Edgar walked up to me and there was a dumbbell rack right in front of me and he leaned over and and he's drenched in sweat again. But as you know, nicest guy in the world, smiles at me, points to a 45 pound dumbbell and says, you using this? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to
0: tell me you started bench pressing you. <laughs>
1: that was the next thing. I'm like, no, Edgar, you take the 45s, man. I'll stick to the 10s. We'll, we'll call it even. <laughs> yeah, but he's an animal. He's a total animal.
0: Greg, it, it actually reminds me of a story. I was in rookie ball and you know, had just signed with the Cleveland Indians and, and went off to play in Watertown, New York. And I, and I had a teammate, the first baseman out of UCLA by the name of Joey James. And uh, Joey was very well put together uh, by the standards of the time, and we were we were in Niagara Falls playing the Niagara Falls Tigers, and I'm sitting on the foot of the bed watching what was a, a very grainy. Uh, UHF signal from <laughs> the hotel TV and, and, uh, wherever we were in the New York Penn league and Joey James proceeded to crawl down on the floor, ducked his head underneath the bed and started bench pressing the bed with me on it. And I, <laughs> uh, eh, that's a, that was a first and, and frankly, a last, but something <laughs> that was burned on my brain.
1: Well, that's terrifying. That's a good story, though. Uh, and, you know, Jerry, we, we've uh, mentioned how busy you are at the winter meetings, and at the time of this recording, this is uh, Wednesday early afternoon your time. This is like, this is the final full day for you all. Tomorrow, the Rule Five draft. So, we really appreciate you taking the time on a very busy day. Uh, what have been your impressions so far to this point in the winter meetings, and the hopes in the? I guess at this point, kind of the remaining hours, really, that you guys will be in Orlando.
0: You know, I we, we spend so much time, via, whether it's text or phone calls, in contact with all the other clubs and the and the agents, really all year round. But particularly during these off season months where the workload really picks up for us. And down here in Orlando, the things I take away, one, the lobby is just as much a circus as it ever is. This is a great event for the baseball fan. Uh, You're going to get baseball fans. You're going to get the the media in droves down in the lobby. And it doesn't matter from the time you wake up in the morning until well after you should be in bed at night. That lobby is just jammed. And it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of face-to-face interaction with clubs that we don't get year-round. The market was slow in developing coming into the winter meetings. I think you're starting to see it pick up either with just general trade rumor and chatter or the, the free agent market starting to really move, particularly with the bullpen guys. And you know, you've seen a couple come off the board in the last couple of days, and, and I think you'll see more uh, in these next, let's call it 48 hours, because sometimes you will consummate deals here at the winter meetings that aren't announced until after a player clears a physical, which may take a little while. So you know, the, the market is starting to move. We have been very engaged almost exclusively in regard to pitching. But as you may have seen this morning, <clears throat> we did make a deal for uh, to reacquire one of our pitchers. This is a new one for uh, for Mariner trade lore, at least dur- during my time. <laughs> we actually traded a left-hand pitcher last summer named Anthony Mashevitz, in a deal in which we acquired Ryan Garten and Mike Marjama, who, who uh, sets up to be part of our big league club this year. And this morning we reacquired Anthony Mishevitz in return for some of that excess sliding slot money that we had laying around in the couch cushions. That somehow <laughs> we uh, we want to make make sure that we put that money back into our system. And, and you know, one of the moves we made to do that was reacquiring Mishevitz, who was was quite happy to return to the Mariners. And we're going to continue to be aggressive in how we uh, reapply that money to our system and fill the voids. You,
1: you mentioned talking to respective teams and clubs over the course of the year is it conceivable that you could show up in this case in Orlando having not talked to fill in the blank team about fill in the blank player and then within a day or a matter of hours you have a trade that is agreed upon on both sides with no groundwork being laid before the meetings
0: oh yeah sometimes it's just as you know tin cans and strings we talk through the walls with glasses pressed against them and I you know hey buddy (laughs) Uh, it it does it it, sometimes it comes together very quickly but more often than not trades are hard to do and i know it's it it seems ridiculous for me to say that because we've made so many but they really are hard to do it takes a lot of contact it takes a lot of discussion very rarely is it hey would you do x for y and the guy on the other end says yes i think that's happened to me once in my career really
1: you
0: know yeah it just doesn't really happen that often and you know we're we're trying as as hard as we can to connect with clubs but you know in today's time especially with with sabermetrics being such a large part of what we do uh, from office to office it's really 30 teams who are metrically inclined you know, we value players not too dissimilar dissimilarly from the other club and and you know therefore it's sometimes hard to put together deals and and uh, we will constantly grind and, and work on them. And, you know, we, we've worked on half a dozen since we've been here that have fallen apart and, and others that, that gain traction. And for every deal we do, and, and heavens knows we've done many, there's probably four four to one ratio that just, you know, land on the cutting room floor and never get off the ground.
1: You know, for some reason, and I don't know what it is, there's something about the whiteboard the fans love. And I, I'll group myself in there with it. And I remember... John Stanton, Mariner's CEO, told the story, maybe it was to a season ticket holder group uh, last season, that when he went down to the winter meetings last year and came into essentially your war room or your suite where all the guys got together to have these talks for the Mariners, that there was the whiteboard up. And even John Stanton, the CEO, thought this was like the coolest thing ever, took a picture of it, thought it was fantastic, and then realized, oh, I got to watch out what I do with this picture. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about about what that room is like, what is up on the whiteboard, and just as much as you can a little bit behind the scenes?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the whiteboard for us, they're they're pretty critical. We usually have more than one up on on pedestals and in a suite area. We'll have as many as 20, 25 members of our Mariners group, scouting, player development, coaching staff and and the like here in the room discussing anything from potential trades to free agents. And we will lay our 25 man roster or projected 25 man roster out on a whiteboard and each of what we think are the fixed players. So in our case, Use your use your imagination. It's Dee Gordon. It's Gene Segura. It's Nelly. It's Robbie. It's Mitch Hanniger. It's Kyle. You know, we're laying those fixed pieces into a lineup and into a a, a defensive chart, so we can see visually how our club lays out. And then you know, and concurrently, we have another board going with the available free agents and and the potential trades that we've discussed. And then we methodically just take one player from one board and and bring them over to the other and And then, talk about all the positives or negatives to that move.. Uh, and you know we we have the two boards here. and And as it works out, there's we we also clearly work off of our laptops that we travel with. and and in the in the world of whiteboards with with erasable ink, it changes as often as you might think. And, you know, I actually joked around with Jack Mossman, our, our director of team travel, you know, our Major League Ops director. I joked with him that as we got down to the Swan and Dolphin this year, in addition to the two whiteboards in our main suite, I would somehow like to have a whiteboard connected to the ceiling above my bed in my room. <laughs> <laughs> Not to get you know, Austin Powers on you, but yeah, it, it, that's what we do for these three or four days. and And, you know, we're constantly thinking through the different. The different ways that our team comes together, and, and you know, for every again, for every idea that we have, uh, that there might be that works. There might be four others that, that fell short, and it's a great time to do a, a to do a think tank, and you know, and the whiteboard serves as the way to connect with, with two dozen people in a room.
1: So when you talk about all these different options that might be lying in front of you, when you think about, and you've made it clear that you're set on the position player side, it's now shifting gears to the pitching side. I mean, can you even put a number as to how many different avenues you're considering right now of this player and that player free agent trade? I mean, is, that, is that clearly mapped out? Because it sounds like it could be an, almost an infinite number of possibilities
0: it's always fluid and and every time a guy comes off the board a free agent comes off the board or a trade is made somehow there's a ripple you know we we all work in the same ocean and somehow there's a ripple that affects you and you know clearly we've been again we're very candid and and fairly clear and going about our business we want to find impact to add to our pitching staff And, and right now we're focused on trying to find impact more likely in the in the bullpen as a as move A in what we anticipate being a pair of moves. So our our primary focus coming in was if we can leave here with with two upgrades to our pitching staff for additional arms to grow with, then we're excited about that. Uh, we we've we're not bent on having to leave with two, but we would really like to make some progress. And and you know as you might expect, some of the guys that you've seen come off the board here in these last couple of days as free agents, we were we were definitely engaged on that level. We, we picked out what we thought were the premium relievers in the market, and, and we still have a couple that we're, we're live with that we feel like we would be lucky to, to have. So you know, every, every move that, that is made, every trade, every free agent signing affects us sometimes in, in a positive way because it frees up our, our avenue to get to the target we want or in a negative way because it takes a guy that we
1: wanted off the board. And can you remind us on, I know after the David Phelps acquisition last summer, uh, Scott made it very public and we all could tell. I mean, the Mariners bullpen at that point with health and with Phelps uh, was dynamite. And that was a tremendous bullpen. his recovery process, where you see him being ready to go with spring training and then moving into the regular season?
0: Yeah, Phelps, I actually talked to David about a week or 10 days ago and in regard to both kind of his thoughts on on the Otani thing, like we had talked about and and I also tapped into his recollection of the time he spent with d Gordon you know, with the marlins and uh, we had a great conversation and You know, David is going to be a big player in what we do. And he started his throwing program uh, this past Monday. So today would be day three of his of his throwing routine. We anticipate that he's going to be 100 percent healthy. He's checked out clean. And and after what we think is a minor procedure to to clean up his elbow, we're we're in great shape now and projects to be ready from day one, just like everybody else. And he will be an impact guy in our bullpen. To join Edwin and, and Nick Vincent, among others, but we feel like the you know those three guys, independent of anything else, with the addition of another of that that ilk, gives us a really powerful back of the game dynamic that a lot of teams in the American League just don't have. What did he say about D Gordon? Uh, actually, referenced him as one of the best teammates he'd ever had, and uh, I think we have in my short time with D, which is now you know less than a week old, <laughs> I would be, I. He has been terrific, but energetic, how positive he is every day. And some of the time that we've spent with D, what's been most impressive is it, in addition to just being a, a, a fun player with a skill set that's different for today's time, that, that you know, a player that was very common in the 70s and the 80s that you just don't see in, in the 2000s. Uh, so that excites us, but as exciting as he is, on the field, some of the things that he has been doing away from the field and his his backstory—they're just tremendous—and you know it's fun to get to learn about players that you didn't know. And and D has been incredibly philanthropic in in the last handful of years and. You know, he's, he's one of those players that, when when he achieved that that first contract and he signed his extension with the Marlins, he made it a, a point to give back, and I'm I'm I couldn't be
1: more impressed with what he's done away from the field. Well, he's one of the guys, and it's not a small group at all, from what I can tell, that is in Miami with Nelson Cruz, and you mentioned it already, Robinson Cano, among others. And this sounds like uh, Scott kind of referenced in his comments recently that this was something that he and Nelly talked about. Almost during kind of exit interviews at the end of the regular season, that the crews brought up wanting to organize something like this. Uh, what, what do you make of, and no surprising, this tremendous leadership from uh, one of your marquee players? Uh, N-
0: Nelly's he's a wonderful human,
1: and you know I've mentioned that before. And
0: one of the things that that he brought up in in late September to Scott, and, and that they talked about, and, and Nelly has been the driving force. This was a, truly his baby. Uh, he wanted to make sure that that about the midpoint of the off season he got the group together so that the players stayed in contact. And it's so easy to get once you leave after a season is done and it's October and you're back home, you lose touch. And it, I think it was important to Nelson for team bonding. It was important to him to to, to keep the group in contact. And it was also, you know, something along the lines of, hey, we had some injury issues last year. Let's make sure we check in with each other and, and make sure that we're where we need to be in our preparation. And I think uh, just about all of our position players, including D and Ryan Healy, the two new guys, they're you know they're down there. And we've got a couple of guys that are playing winter ball or that, you know, for, for travel-related reasons around the holidays couldn't make it. But I think a good deal of the players are down there, even including a handful of the pitchers who – certainly aren't going to take any hacks, but they can go, well, around. <laughs> I, I guess it depends. You know, Mike Leak might take a hack, but I, I don't know how quick Paxton's going to be to grab a bat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's make sure there's some supervision all of a sudden. Yeah, I think Paxton knows better than that by now. Hey, uh, Jerry, we mentioned this the last episode that uh, we have, we now have an email address, mariners.com We would love to hear from you guys, the listeners, uh, questions, comments, whatever it might be. We have already received some questions and the first one this is a really good one jerry this comes from brian and he's he's curious about the dynamics especially at the winter meetings between all 30 general managers and of course we don't need you to name any names but you have 30 guys highly competitive many of which have been in this game for decade after decade you guys have competed for jobs maybe one of you guys got fired the other was hired in your place Uh, the clicks the dynamics the guys that you uh, as a result, maybe work better with, better with when it comes to a trade than others. Just kind of this whole uh, social pool of thirty grown men who are all kind of competing against the other twenty nine.
0: I, I just hang out in the corner with the Rays guys and we make <laughs> trades. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, it's a uh, we we have it is such a small game. And there are I mean, literally with 30 teams who each have something in the neighborhood of, you know, 400 employees, It, it it's a lot smaller than it sounds. And, you know, we, we all we all draw from the same talent pool. And that goes for the players and the, the office staffs. You know, almost everybody in an organization has worked somewhere else in their baseball life. And that is, uh, that makes the, the world smaller and among the 30 GMs, we do spend a fair amount of time on the phone. There's a certain group that you gravitate towards socially that, that you may have more in common with, uh, just in terms of your interests, you know, like, like for it, for instance, you know, you might find someone who likes to talk about seared grouper. That, <laughs> that's probably the, the, the one that I'm going to spend more time with, um, There's so many guys in the in the game that I enjoy spending time around. I I love trying to pull whatever I can off of Sandy Alderson. I I respect Sandy quite a bit for how he goes about his business. Uh, You know, socially, there's so many guys. Thad Levine with the Twins is uh, has become one of my closest friends over the years. Just a great guy witty uh, keeps it loose and fun love dealing with the Dodgers guys Farhan and Andrew obviously the Rays guys we get along very well Eric and Matt Silverman And, and there's so many around the league that I that I really enjoy and respect and and it's fun when we get together because it's uh it is it is truly a unique group that you get to be a part of and and I never take for granted the fact that there's only 30 of these jobs and and I've been fortunate enough to have one of them for a while now Come on,
1: let's, what, did, did Sandy give you, like, some Tom Seaver autographed uh, Shea Stadium seat or something like that? I mean, like, let's cut to the chase. What's There's got to be something in it besides he's just a good guy. I mean, he's a Mets guy. You're a Mets guy. There's, there's, there's got to be more to it than that, right, Jerry?
0: No, but I'm going to tell you a good Tom Seaver story because you just got one for me. But uh, Sandy, <laughs> I just think Sandy, Sandy is is kind of the, he was the torchbearer for a lot of what Major League front offices do today. And, you know it's a, we we can give so much credit to different groundbreakers in in baseball history people who moved the needle uh, Jackie Robinson breaking a color barrier it could have been it could have been the 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 way the game changed in, in terms of the eras as it's gone along you know the the pitching dominated 60s and you always remember figures from those times whether it's Bob Gibson or Sandy Koufax in the 60s it was the great home run hitters of the 50s with you know Mickey Mantle Duke Snyder Willie Mays etc and you know for since i've entered front office work one of the guys i really admire is sandy because from his days with the A's through his time at Major League Baseball to to what he's doing now with the Mets, he's had such a unique and and really multi-dimensional career. And if you date back to those A's days in the in the late '80s and uh, what they were able to do in in such a small market and create a, the really created the sabermetric movement in baseball front offices, uh, you know you could give credit to, to Bill James for really moving the needle on the Sabermetric movement in general, but I think Sandy did a lot to bring it to front offices, and I think that positively changed the game. So that's my gush about Sandy. I really, <laughs> I really do respect them. But on, on Tom Seaver, I will tell you this: I, as as I may have mentioned before, my favorite player growing up, and uh, Sandy did not deliver me a Tom Seaver autograph. But when I was a rookie, I was I was playing for the Cleveland Indians, and this was back when ESPN or or, or ABC there was there was a game. It was before kind of the regional sports networks. And there was a game on TV almost every night where, you know, you had ESPN Monday night, Thursday night, Friday night, baseball, etc. So in addition to your local cable network, you would get the, these these one offs on national TV. And, you know, I was with the Cleveland Indians right as we were rebuilding or, or ascending toward that World Series team in 95. And we were we were just leaf, leaving new york and and uh, i'm looking at uh, across the field tom siever was then uh, uh an announcer uh, you know the color guy for wpix the yankees cable channel and and i was just kind of st- staring at him from across the field and one of my teammates said just go ask him for an autograph i said i can't ask him for an autograph it's tom siever there, there's I'm not going to go talk to him and, and you know, he won't bite type thing. So I went and, and spoke with him and leaned on the cage. And it's the first time I met him and he's since become, you know, he's, he's a, a baseball hero of mine, but I leaned on the cage and, and I said, I said, Tom, it is a pleasure to meet you. I am your biggest fan. And, he turned around. He said, "I've never heard that before." You know, and and jokingly smiled at me, and and we talked for a brief period, and and then we got back to Cleveland the next day on a getaway day. Uh, that night or that day in in, in New York, uh, Jim Abbott threw a no hitter against us. So apparently, it wasn't great luck that Tom Seaver and I had our first chat. <laughs> but we we made our way back to Cleveland, and, and the clubhouse guy came and presented me with a with a. A brown paper bag and he said hey Tom Seaver you know we were getting ready for an evening game on on ESPN and he said Tom Seaver passed this along wanted you to have it and I opened up the bag and it was a baseball sign you know to Jerry from your number one fan Tom Seaver and that that still holds a very prominent uh, position on my desk so uh, you, you brought a good memory back.
1: Oh my gosh, that is a fantastic story. What were, can, yeah. you, can you imagine? Do you remember what you were like when you opened that up? I and mean, that must have been utter shock for you. Oh, it was like a kid in a candy
0: store, truly. And and it's uh of, of the many things that I've collected through the course of my time in the game. I my I think I, I may have mentioned this. Like my my brother who is uh, my brother's a psychologist in suburban Kansas City. Uh, big big. Tom Seaver fan himself, growing up, and and he's asked me about my biggest thrills. Like, what were your biggest thrills? And and uh, you know, and that is one of them. The first time I met Tom Seaver, the first time I met Nolan Ryan, just the, the the first time I faced George Brett. You you get that that you get to do the things that you dreamed about doing when you were a kid, and it's just it's it's phenomenal to to kind of live the, the life of Riley, where you you realize all your dreams, and it's awesome.
1: That is fantastic. That's cool. On another podcast, I will ask you about your Tom Seaver jersey, but that will that will wait for another episode. Uh, one other other fan question. This comes from JJ, and this will kind of double up as our uh, stat segment to close things off. Uh, he's curious, Jerry, about defensive metrics. He's aware of uh, DRS and UZR, but he's curious about any other defensive metrics that he and other fans should read up on and kind of be more dialed into that maybe you guys use. Maybe there's something that you like even better than those two that I just mentioned.
0: Well, no, those are two standards and you know, it took a long time for defensive metrics to really become a little bit more mainstream. And, you know, by a long time, I mean, we were, we were aware of defensive metrics 10 years ago, 12 years ago. uh, And they've only become more mainstream here in the last three or four years, I, I guess the, in, in, Giving props to the Rays and the Astros, you know Jeff Lunau, Matt Silverman, formerly Andrew Friedman, with the Rays, they really they really pushed the envelope on taking defensive metrics and and changing the way the game was played, which you see now with the defensive shifts and such. But you know MLB's uh, Statcast package really provides so much insight into what a player is capable of defensively and. We spoke about it a little bit during our last session when we talked about D Gordon but anything from first step quickness to the efficiency in a route to and you can flip it on the baseball network now and and watch the most phenomenal catch of that night in the outfield when they break it down and start showing you start showing you route efficiencies angles right down to you know the the velocity of the ball coming out of Adam, uh, Aaron Hicks hand Throwing Danny Valencia out at home plate a couple of years ago. It's you know the the, the way satellite technology has changed the way we're able to view defense has truly ma- taken the noise and teased it out of the the metrics that the standard UZR DRS and those 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 basics are still very valuable to us and we use them. But we are looking more now at the, the quality of the athletic movement, the twitch and the takeoff and how efficient they are in running their routes. And frankly, it was one of the things that led us to D. Gordon. Uh, I don't know. You may have seen I'm, I'm I'm not a Twitter junkie, but I do junk a little. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the the Twitter layout where they had the big red circle that showed the the ground coverage that would be expected Based on D. Gordon's foot speed and and takeoff, uh, which is phenomenal, it roughly covered somewhere from pole to pole. And you know, if the ball stayed in the air for six seconds, and I, and I joked with D. You know, hopefully it doesn't take very long for him to adapt. But if we can somehow get our pitchers to let them, you know, to to, to get the hitter to loft the ball in the air for six seconds <laughs> and not go over the fence, we're in great shape. <laughs>
1: Would you consider if you were looking to acquire an outfielder and you mentioned that throw from Hicks to Nab Valencia, which was like statcast added at, uh, well, I don't like 100 and change or something if I'm remembering correctly um, would you consider looking at arm strength of an outfielder just simple, simply in terms of miles per hour, like you would almost a pitcher, when you're looking to acquire an outfielder? I mean, has it gotten to that level?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say it's as as pivotal as that arm strength is a very nice thing I think arm accuracy is more important and you know so we will in in, if we're cutting it into three we're looking for arm accuracy we're looking for release the efficiency of the release how quickly does the ball get from the ground to your glove to your throwing hand to the to the defender who's going to either serve as relay or receiver and you know those are really important things. Arm strength is great, but if you're if if basically if you're cranking it up like a catapult, it doesn't do you a heck of a lot of good. (laughs) You know, uh, it's 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 how efficient, how quick can you transfer? And you know, you will look around the league, for instance, some of the best throwing catchers of all time truly have averages arm strength they 're just so quick with the transition that they 're able to cut down the run game and and the same is true in the outfield there There are so many of the great outfielders that just had cannons I, I played with Larry Walker in Colorado who had one of the best throwing arms in history roberto clemente and there 's ichiro uh, it was one of the most fabulous throwers in, in outfield history, but some have crazy arm strength and they 're just so inefficient in how they do it that it minimizes their their effect and So we prefer to focus on the the quickness of the release and the accuracy over the pure arm strength.
1: That's very interesting. Jerry, as we uh, wrap this one up, episode five, and you are uh, getting closer to hopping on a plane and coming back to Seattle, will you be stopping anywhere for some last-minute holiday shopping? Or have you already wrapped up? Have you secured your shopping for the family? I mean, how how are we looking on this level? Forget trades and players. We need to talk about the family.
0: Well, we'll talk about the family. I'm just going to put this, uh, put this to you as a personal quiz. If there are 12 months in a year, and then this is a bit of a riddle, if there are 12 months in a year and you had to guess by which month in the year is DePoto done with his Christmas shopping, what would you guess?
1: I don't think DePoto's ever done with his Christmas shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Typically, I, I wrap up my
0: Christmas shopping somewhere around August, so it's a... Uh, you know, we, we, like we do with, uh, with our roster, we tend to move a little quicker and, and then inexplicably I will somehow present those gifts to the, to the recipients and go back out and do it again. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's kind of, it, I have, I have finished my Christmas shopping. I'm, I am flying back to, to Seattle tomorrow, but as is our practice, we have a, we have a long standing family tradition where we go off on a vacation so we can spend some, some solo time together and, and we're going to head out on Friday, and and my goal is that uh, for at least two weeks it, the phone time will be minimal, and the the sunning
1: myself like a beached whale will be, uh, <laughs> will be the, the the goal. It's all that risotto that's making you into the beach whale. Hey, that uh, is right. now does your wife have like a hard and fast rule on Christmas like? Do you wake up and you say Merry Christmas to each other, and then she just takes your cell phone? I mean, is this she like takes the battery out and throws it in the ocean? I mean, is there a hard and fast no cell phone on Christmas rule?
0: There, there is not a hard and fast rule. Uh, there's a matter of fact I will I will admit to sometime over the last six or eight years being uh, on the phone with an agent on Christmas morning, but. Uh, almost never another club you know there's that's the no fly zone almost <laughs> you are almost always uh, allowed the the 24 hours on christmas now we just got to talk the agents into playing that game too
1: <laughs> i can tell i can tell well a good reminder that for anyone listening who is looking for those last minute uh, christmas gifts you can always snag a pair of mariners tickets opening night a couple of big games as well coming up in the early months and throughout the summer, many big games. Just go to Mariners.com or any Mariners team store. Jerry, we know your time is limited in the uh, final hours in Orlando. We certainly appreciate your time and your insights. And uh, try the charcuterie tonight around 11 o'clock. I think that might treat you all right from that uh, Dolphin and Swan delivery menu.
0: Unfortunately, it's not going to treat me all right by 5 a.m. when I'm waking up
1: <laughs> with the, the charcuterie stuck in my belly like a
0: lead weight.
1: But you'll, you know, you'll be getting some phone call that hour anyway, so it'll help you. It'll help you focus a little bit on it. But we appreciate the time, Jerry. As always, you're incredible to do this, and we really appreciate it. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon.